podcasts, the final free media. These are the episodes of the Get Off My Lawn podcast. It's continuing mission to explore strange new venues, to seek out unique guests and lively conversations, to boldly podcast what nobody has podcast before. It's the Get Off My Lawn podcast for the week of August 6th, 2017. Craig, and here's your genial host, Kevin. All right, thank you, Craig, for that introduction, and thank you for... <laughs> the way this works, ladies and gentlemen, is I give Craig a, a script, you know, like, like real professional broadcasters, and a lot of times Craig just does a straight dry reading, you know, he, he doesn't need to do much advance to, to say, you know, get off my lawn and now here's Kevin, etc. But this time around, I simply put in parentheses before the script, do your best bad Shatner impersonation, and <laughs> I get a text message from Craig saying, uh, really? Really? Is, is that is that what, what we're doing now? This is this is what's happening? So, so, so Craig did it. And, you know, he's he's performing yeoman's duties, not to get into the Trek references too early. But the same thing pretty much happened with, with Brian, our resident musician. The, the guy that's composed, performed our theme song, does all the in, intro music, outro music, bumper music, etc. Has, has never said no to any of my ridiculous requests for different uh, uh, songs, for different little zingers. If, if you go back to the infamous uh, Jonathan Katz episode... I said, can you give me some little, you know, piano bass riffs like the old Dr. Cat show? And sure enough, boom, he's got them. He just, he just, he's, he's got that gift. So I say to him, hey, you know that theme song that you wrote for me? Can you do a version of the theme song that is reminiscent, that, that it evokes, it's, it's, it's evocative of the original Star Trek theme? He doesn't hesitate. He doesn't say no. He doesn't look at me like the, the, the crazy fool that I am. He just does it. And he sends me one version, and he goes, no, no wait, I, I can do better than this. Now, mind you, neither Craig, nor Brian, nor Audrey, who provided the vocals, that's, that's Brian's wife, if you go again back to one of the earlier episodes of the podcast when I talk about Brian and the album that, that he released, uh, Audrey's there in the background, so you can hear her. She provided the, the operatic vocals for for our our opening theme here this this podcast they don't hesitate and that to me is just a sign that these people are all problem drinkers that's the only way i can i i don't know why they they say yes to my silly requests but i am forever in their debt for doing it how's it going everybody so again thanks thanks to brian thanks to craig thank you audrey thank you to to everybody who who just puts up with me it's you know it can't be emphasized enough that i'm a little bit nuts i've accepted that about myself it, it ain't the type of nuts that therapy or medication can control believe me if it could <laughs> but but i am forever in 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 debt to the good friends that i've made throughout my lifetime and and just the fact that I can come to them and have really ridiculous requests like, hey, I want a version of... I, well, first of all, I want my own theme song. Sure, that's something you say to friends all the time, right? You, you normal, quote-unquote, sane people. But then, you know, a year, year and a half later to say, you know that theme song that you wrote for me? Can you do a Star Trek version of the theme song? And 
they don't, there's not even a pause. There's not even a, you're sure crazy, man. Let's ju- ju- just back away slowly and maintain eye contact the whole time. No, no, my, my friends just do these things for me, and I, I cannot, I have no words other than thank you. So thank you. And thank you to to all of you listeners who who, who put up with this silliness. I don't, I don't even know how else to say it. Uh, today on the show, we are going to be talking Star Trek, as if you couldn't figure that out. If you're not familiar with a web-based series uh, known as Star Trek Continues, please check it out. It's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. You can Google it. You can find them on Facebook. You can find them on Twitter. You can find them pretty much anywhere. And the people who put this show together, much like my own actual friends, I can't say enough good things about the work that they put into this show i mean it is truly you know i I think my podcast is a labor of love it's something i do to be creative and explore creativity and and put a spotlight on on artists and creative types that i respect and admire and like but the word labor of love is redefined when you look at what star trek continues is doing this is a show that has for a couple years now done a very very I can't use the word very enough, a very faithful recreation of the original series. And by that, I don't just mean, well, it looks like the original series, which it does. And that alone puts it in the top tier of any sort of fan fiction that's ever been produced. But everything about it is reminiscent of the original Star Trek, of Gene Roddenberry's vision, not just in the way that it looks, not just in the costumes or the sound effects or the music, but in... In a Trek episode, you look for certain things. You look for certain types of dialogue. You look for certain types of action. This sh- this show does that. And it's a, it's a credit to the people who are putting it together, who are not getting paid to put it together, who are taking time out of their schedules. You know, these people have lives. These people have jobs. These people have, have families. And they're putting all of that aside, at least for a couple days, you know, to... to put together something purely to be entertaining purely to to share it with you guys so we're going to talk a little bit about this and we're not just going to talk about you know star trek continues itself but talk about the legacy of star trek the legacy of gene roddenberry and all that that entails uh with uh, the executive producer of star trek continues so i think it's a good interview not to pat myself on the back but i I had no advanced knowledge of what uh star trek continues captain kirk was like off camera so it was interesting to get to know him to sit down and have a meal with him which we did from time to time when when the show goes on the road for lack of a better term to conduct these interviews we just meet up at a place it's a place that uh, I, I met uh, when we did the John Campanera episode last year uh, we met at the same place it's at uh, the Jerry's Famous Deli out there in Studio City they put a little work on the road since I was there last which is nice didn't hit too many potholes I'll let you listen to the interview I think it turned out really well hopefully you will agree in addition to that we do have our friends from other podcasts who are joining us again to offer some insight and input. We will have the the guys from the Straight Meets Gay podcast. They will be answering the age-old question, are hipsters good or are they evil? I think we all know my answer to that. In addition to hearing from those guys, we will also hear from Jesse and Rich. They are the Philosodorks. They still have yet to put out a new episode of their podcast, so they're pretty much at this point just showing up on mine and drinking. More power to them. I'm, that's not a criticism. Again, that's the, these people are friends of mine. I've known Rich more than half my life, and I say to him, hey, I'm going to put you on a microphone for a couple minutes a week, and he's like, yeah, okay, sure. So that's what we do, and this time around, him being being a philosophy major, a philosophy student, a philosopher. I think we can say that at this point. He's more than just a scholar. He is he's a philosopher. And so we tackle that most famous philosophical phrase, 
I think, therefore, I am. And it's possible we tackle it with some alcohol. At the end of the podcast, you will hear our resident film critic, Tim. He will be chatting to us again from Colorado, and he will be reviewing Detroit. If you are unfamiliar with the film, it is not a laugh riot. It is It's a very serious film, which, of course, me being me, I can't resist trying to find a joke in the darkest of times. So you'll hear uh, me try to uh, do that with Tim here at the end of the podcast. We've got a lot of things lined up. I would like to thank everybody for their feedback on the new quote-unquote format. I don't know what else to say. The new additions to, to what we're doing here on the show. My reasoning behind it, my motivation behind it was to give some extra voices some some airtime for lack of a better term there are always different perspectives that i find unique that i find interesting that i find worthwhile they're not people that are always going to agree with me or even agree with each other or even agree with themselves but i like the diversity in perspectives and i hope you guys do too so far the comments have been generally positive yes i am aware that there are always audio issues we are what they call a low-budget slash no-budget podcast, so it's kind of difficult sometimes to record people who are not in the same room, or even if they are in the same room, if there's any sort of ambient noise. As I speak, I am recording to you uh, from, well, where I live, and where I live does have an air conditioning unit, which is useful because it's 120,000 freaking degrees right now in Southern California, but to record To give you the best possible quality audio, I turn off the air conditioning unit. So what you are now hearing is a moderately overweight balding man flop sweating on microphone. Isn't that exciting? Did I paint you a good word picture there? Because that's what's going on right here on on the podcast. So we try to give you the best audio quality that we can. That doesn't mean you're always going to get great audio quality, and for that I apologize. But the, the cold reality of it is that great audio quality requires great amounts of money (laughs) and we ain't got that uh we we mentioned earlier that phrase labor of love well it's not a labor of economics so we do the best that we can and and we are working on it we're always taking steps to improve we're always looking for uh constructive criticism and ways to improve i'm working on the the types of compression we use when we record people using either skype or uh facetime or even facebook messenger we're working on it that's all i can tell you is that we have our crack team of engineers who again are just basically my drunk friends and I and we don't get paid so we're doing the best that we can with what we got and hopefully that is enough to keep you uh, hooked for a little while and hopefully you understand I think people that are tuning in who are fans of fan fiction understand completely Uh, you know you're tuning in today to hear somebody talk about one of one of the frankly best pieces of fan fiction that's ever been produced star trek not my podcast certainly not the podcast star trek continues so that's why you're tuning in today if you're tuning in for the first time hi how's it going my name's kevin i am your genial host and sometimes i babble have you noticed that just a little bit of babbling it isn't caffeine i stopped drinking caffeine years and years ago this is just all natural semi crazy me yay so let's uh i think we've wasted enough of your time (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> let's get let's get on with the show, as they say, and let us take you now live on tape to Jerry's Deli in Studio City. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to world-famous Jerry's Deli, and I am here with Captain James Tiberius. It Kirk. is world-famous. <laughs> I understand they have amazing hot turkey sandwiches, and, and, and there's one on its way to our table two, right now. Two, two on their way. One, one for you, one oh, for me. That's right, that's right. 
and I, I'm going to completely mispronounce your last name. But don't, it do it. Vic, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. Think it. Think, oh, don't, don't do it. I'm going to give you a hint. Okay. Say tomorrow in Spanish. Manana? Dude. You hit it. He shoots, he That's scores. That's it, huh? That's it. Vic Manana? Manana. Vic Manana. That is, well, you can get easier than that. It, it is. It's easier than it looks. <laughs> it you looks know? much more complicated. It's Italian. It's the Italian spelling. So think of like lasagna. Bologna, that GN combination in Italy. Well, yes, ladies and gentlemen, there are, have been a few Captain Kirks out there, but this one is part of the fan fiction universe. He is, I don't know exactly how many hats you wear on, on the series, but oh, you are awful lot. You, you are the Captain Kirk. You are also, you, I think you've directed? Well, I started the show. I'm the executive producer. I funded the first episode. I helped build the sets. I... Uh, written several of the stories. I've directed several of the episodes. I play Kirk. I've I've approved and had my hand in costume design. Uh, I do the music editing work and uh, a lot of the sound uh, mixing uh, supervision. Um, I edit the episodes. I work with every element, whether it's props, makeup, wardrobe. In you know what, very much like Roddenberry. Because if you think about it, I mean. He couldn't do it all himself, but he did want it to be consistent with his vision. So even in the original series, when you would see an episode written by so-and-so, in all likelihood, Roddenberry and Justman, or Roddenberry and John D.F. Black, rewrote it <laughs> to match his vision for it, but they still gave, they still gave the writers credit. And so I'm, I'm very much, thank you, I'm very much in that sense and, and now, and now our Captain Kirk has a glass of wine in front of him because, right. you know, that's what we needed. <laughs> to all the women I've loved before. There we go. <laughs> and Star Trek Continues has fascinated me since it premiered. And how long ago was it now? It, really, it feels like uh, You know what? While, I, ironically, five-year mission. It's a five-year mission? The wow. By the time we finish, release our last episode, it will be five years Wow! since we started. That is cool. We talked just a little bit before the mic was hot about how just you wanted to capture the look, the sound, as much of it as you could so that people could focus on the story. Yes, you, you know, a lot of people often say, oh my gosh, you know, the, uh, the, the sets are perfect and the lighting is perfect. And to me, the one thing, the preeminent thing I wanted to do with Star Trek Continues that I felt had not been done to its fullest capacity in fan productions was acting and storytelling. I wanted to be able to tell stories reminiscent of the original series stories. And you can't do that without actors. You just can't be a fan in a costume. That's not enough. <laughs> so my, my primary goal from the beginning was to tell stories uh, that morality plays and ethical questions and social issues. But you can't do that if your sets aren't perfect. You can't do that if your costumes fit poorly. You can't do that if the lighting and the props and the editing wardrobe doesn't seem right. The viewer can't get past it. So I often tell people we build perfect sets so that you can forget them. And immediately after 30 seconds you accept this is the Enterprise. This is the Enterprise from the late 60s. I'm there. I'm back. Now tell me a story. Do you have Numbers? How many views? How many? We we're near seven million. Wow! And we've won over a dozen awards. 
And I've often said, and I, I hope this doesn't sound cocky because it's not meant to, but the only reason we don't have more views is just because people don't know about us. Right. Our biggest problem is we've never paid one penny for promotion or Facebook likes or any of that kind of thing. Our series has literally been distributed word of mouth and just people saying, I was looking around and I stumbled across your series and holy hell, why have I never heard of this? Why did I not know about this? So our biggest challenge is just people knowing about it. I wish more people knew. Yeah, and again, for people that haven't seen it, you know, there, there is a stigma to the concept of fan fiction, you know, when, there you, when is. you hear it. There most certainly is. And there's also, I mean, people also kind of think when you think of fan fiction that you, you have limitations in what you can write and how you can, you know, do. And the other thing is, too, that I want to make it clear that I'm sitting here next to a Captain Kirk. He doesn't do a bad Shatner impersonation, which could very easily be done, and I've seen done in other fan fiction. You know, you, you and each of the other actors are bringing your own sense to the Let me say something about that. I love Bill Shatner. I you know, always you, you have. <laughs> and he was a childhood hero. He was a father figure to me. When my parents divorced, I was nine, ten years old, and there was Captain Kirk. That was when I discovered Star Trek. But the last thing I would ever want to do is mock or satirize him in some way. I don't want to do that. No, that's not... The Captain Kirk that I love right. and remember. And so the last thing I would ever want to do is give a performance that felt like I was stereotyping or, or uh, satirizing him. I want to pay tribute to him. And I've told Bill this to his face, sitting as close as you and I are now. I've said, Bill, you know, you had an enormous impact on me when I was a little boy. And I made this as a tribute to you and the others who made the original series. And he put his arm on my shoulder and he said, that's extraordinary. <laughs> and so when we shoot Star Trek Continues, it is always in the forefront of my mind, don't overdo it. Don't do too much. And I even have, I even tell my, my crew people, I tell my assistant directors and, and my, my, my DP, I say, if you see me doing too much of that, tell me and we'll shoot it again. Because I, I want to do nothing but pay tribute. And, it, and it's seen in the other actors as well. My only tangential connection to your series is that many, many years ago I worked on a show called Your Big Break, and a gentleman on your cast, Mr. Chris Doohan, was a contestant You're on Your kidding. Big Break. Was he singing? He was singing. I so you have it. to ask him who he oh impersonated and who he sang like and how he oh did. My gosh. But yeah, I was a talent I'm going to text him right now <laughs> on, while, you're, while we're talking. But yeah, it, and. You know, he is related, obviously, to the original Scotty, to, to James Doohan. He, again, is not doing an impersonation, you know, of, of that Scotty. He's, he's bringing his I know. own... He doesn't... Yeah. He wants to honor his dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. Oh, we have here. food coming. Oh, my God. Is that enough? Have mercy. <laughs> That's enough, right? Is that enough? <laughs> oh, my God. And I'll bring you back. Can't take it in. Thank you so much. It was sort of a precursor to American Idol. You they, want to hear something funny? I was on the real precursor. Oh, yeah? Star Search. Oh, yes. I was a male vocalist challenger really? on Star Search. The Ed McMahon years? Yep. And what song In did 1993, you sing? In 1993, I sang a song that I wrote called Worth Waiting For. Wow. Well, we'll, see, we'll see if Chris responds. But yeah, he, oh, he will. He, he, I remember him being a good guy. I remember because I had asked him the one because I had met many years ago in college. Uh, I had the opportunity to meet and interview uh, James Doohan at a convention, 
and I had video of him. He was shaking, you know, somebody's hand, and it was only then that I realized he was missing a finger. But, you know, I had watched Star did Trek you, you for didn't how know many that? years. I had not known it. You know, they they did such a good job in the sixties of never showing. That, for, the, for those of you wondering what that disgusting that sound was, that was not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had a burrito for lunch. <laughs> that was a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> Very loud bottle of ketchup. Yeah. Sorry about but, that. Yeah, but I, you know, I, I wanted to know what the deal was. That you know, that was a, a war wound. That was a, uh-huh. you know, an, an actual injury. But the, in the show, in the series, they concealed it. You never, you would see him hold a tool and other various things, but you never saw. He was very good about concealing it. Yeah, and so it wasn't until so I, I, I found that out from Chris back when I met him. Like I said, it was very brief. But yeah, that's my that's my only actual connection to the series. But that was what it was. Um, we're gonna pause and how does this work? Faces with. <laughs> I mean, I want to eat it like a sandwich, but it's not. I, I think it's an open face thing. I think the fork is going to have to be how it's done. Brace yourselves for some deep thoughts with the help of the Philosodorks. Segment number two. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we are joined once again. And I say that because this is the second time we are joined by Rich and Jesse. Or is it Jesse and Rich? Do we prefer? Is there a, an, an official order in which your name should go? We have an extremely equitable relationship. Um, so you, we, we don't put one in front of the other. So you may put those names in whatever order you like. Okay. Squishing them is one thing. Yeah. All right. So today's topic is an easy one for Rich because I assume he's been drinking and we can't tax his brain too much. See, he's laughing and not arguing the point. So here, here it is. It is probably the most famous philosophical quote ever. Rich, you want to say it along with me in either Latin or the or English? Sure. Cogito, Cogito ergo sum. There we go. I think, therefore, I am. This is the one. This is the one that everybody starts off with. This is the one that everybody ends up with. Rich, what the fuck does it mean? I think, therefore, I am. Man, fuck Descartes. Yeah, exactly. fuck him in his fucking fucking fuck face. For those of you who suffered through, like, high school algebra with all those graphs, that shit was his fault, too. So Fucking <laughs> Descartes. So, so the interesting thing is that actually neither cogito nor ergo sum, nor I think therefore I am, nor whatever the French equivalent of that would have been, appear anywhere in any of his writings. But the basic premise of I think therefore I am is that, okay, so a little background. So what Descartes was trying to do was to create or, or, or determine what the solid intellectual foundation of the sciences would be going forward. The Aristotelian model had had a good run for a number of years. Uh, hey babe? Yes. Want to save some juice for our podcast? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty sure Kevin hasn't, uh, doesn't have a copyright on his show, so this, none of this is any of his intellectual property. <laughs> I think what Jesse was trying to say in her sweet, wifely way is, Rich, Shorten it up a bit. It's a five-minute segment here. Reduce it down to a buzzword or a catchphrase, and let's move on. All right. Well, I, I, this is just me uh, exhibiting my complete and utter faith in your editing skills. <laughs> that you'll take whatever verbal diarrhea I excrete out of my mouth hole and turn it into, like, listenable content. Yeah, I uh, do the same thing. Where's my props? Well, you'll get your props later, baby. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> uh, anyway. So, so Descartes uh, was practicing what has come to be called methodological skepticism, where he wanted to pretend to doubt everything he thought he knew, including whether or not he himself existed. 
this has perplexed undergraduate philosophy students, especially people who are just like, dude, I'm a business major. I'm just here because they're making me take this. What is this crap you're making me read? I think before, why would someone not not know that they exist? Look, he knew he existed. He was just trying to come up with like like one certain thing that he could build all the rest of knowledge off of. And so he comes up with this evil genius, right? Uh, so if you remember the Pat Benatar song, that's where this came from. Who like like imagine instead of a benevolent god, there is this evil genius who deceives me in my every thought. Even then, I still know I'm thinking. So that's when he says, "I think, therefore I am." What he means is that yeah, I can't doubt my own existence because even in the act of doubting, I'm demonstrating that I exist. Okay, so that brings me to the, the the one thing I can tell you about the Russian language, having studied it to a certain extent, is that they do not have a base form of the verb to be. There is no verb direct translation of the verb to be. There, everything in, in to be is conditional in Russian. So they literally cannot say, I think, therefore I am. There is no translation of it that in any way applies. The closest translation is sort of, I think, therefore I have myself. And, and that, that to me is an incredibly fascinating thing, and it indicates the extent to which language kind of preloads, if you will, your worldview. Like you can only think things that your language allows you, enables you to think, and, and if you have a language that does allow you to frame things, like if Descartes had been Russian, he might have come up with something entirely different. Yeah, he would have had to. <laughs> something, something communism. Yeah. He probably would have been smashed on vodka. Something, uh, something comrade, something, something, yeah. Here's something, some, something. Here's some money for Trump, something, something. There, something yeah, that's about <laughs> Well, Rich, I don't know how to tell you this, but you're actually almost interesting in this segment, and I want to be able to make fun of you I mean, you were kind of boring for a second there, but Jesse got you back on track. As she does. So, so thanks. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be, you'll be, you know, obnoxious, and we can make more fun of you in future segments. But this one almost worked out, and I'm a little disappointed in that. So, thank you, but you know, bite me is all I can say for this segment. I, I, I will work harder to be less interesting. Th and thank and you I, very much, Jesse. Uh, how can we find your show, assuming you ever get around to producing more shows? By the time this segment airs, you're going to eat those words, my friend. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at DorksCast. You can also find us at philosophydorks.com. Um, we are on iTunes, Google Play, Pocket Cast. Basically, any place where fine podcasts can be found, as long as they get a fucking RSS feed, we're there. And you can also, if you have questions, show topic ideas, or anything like that, you can shoot us an email at dorkscast at gmail.com. Um, and just to clarify, the Facebook page is just Philosodorks and not Dorkscast for the little listeners. Oh yeah, you're right. Oh great, so, so, so we're just confusing people. Outstanding. You want to know what? Just fucking Google Philosodorks and find out. Don't be lazy. Do it yourself. Jesse and Rich, this has been fun. We'll do this again next time. That was great, buddy. You know what? Can I tell you something, Michelle? Yeah. I love it so much, but I'm so sorry there's gravy and stuff in the french fries because I kind of wanted to, you know, dip in the okay. ketchup so and stuff and it's like getting messy. I'll get you some french fries <laughs> Thank you. Our waitress is Michelle. She's sort of an extra on the podcast today. And she's been very generous and nice to us. <laughs> she has. She has. I find when I put a microphone on the table that people in restaurants tend to get nicer. <laughs> Oh I almost want to do That's this all point. the time. Yeah, it's not even plugged in. The cable just goes over the table. It goes under the cable, yeah. Well, let's see. There's, there's a lot of things that I wanted to talk about while I had you here, but mostly, like I said, the, the, the main focus of this podcast is on writers and writing and how that all evolves. So 
What did I'm you? So sorry. I, before, let me answer your question. Sure. I'm so sorry. I'm just so hungry. <laughs> and I didn't realize it until I put something in my mouth, and I was like, "Oh God, I keep eating." <laughs> Episode ten was supposed to be the first time anyone saw our planet set. But that we turns promised, out to be episode nine. We, pr- we promised the fans <laughs> that we would make it, and we did. We are true to our word. And wait till you see it. It's yeah. absolutely amazing. However, when the guidelines came down, we realized we needed to finish up our series as quickly as we could. Yes. And we already had 10 and 11 written. We thought, okay. Let's go from 13 episodes to 11, but let's find another, let's find another, we, and we wrote nine, but nine didn't have a planet in it. So I called James Kerwin one day and I said, James, we worked so hard to build this planet that we have to use it more than one time. So we literally rewrote the opening scene, and I guess you've seen it by now, right? Well, I haven't seen nine, nine. yet, like I said, I but mean, in, in theory, other people when this will comes have, out. Yeah, but it will be available for viewing. Let me just tell you this, without giving you anything away. We came up with a with a, a way to incorporate the planet. It had to be redressed, of course. It couldn't look like the same planet, and where do you see it? It so doesn't. But the idea with that we came up with works so perfectly into the story. It's not jammed in. It, it totally makes perfect sense. Now, one of the things that this series has introduced that wasn't in the original series, that is still, I think, in keeping with, with Trek, is the counselor. You have introduced a, a new character. And gee, I wonder how you got to know this person and were able to cast her and, you know, convince her to, uh, <laughs> to appear in the series and put on, put on the outfit. You know and, what? <laughs> Before we shot, before we shot one episode, before we shot one frame of this show, Michelle and I were at our place talking. And she's a, she's a really good actress. She's a really good actress. And I said to her, "Okay, so who are you going to be? You're going to be Nurse Chapel. You're going to be uh, Yeoman Rand, right?" And as we were talking about this, I'm good friends with Marina Sirtis. I don't know how we got on the subject, but Michelle and I started talking about what was in Next Generation that wasn't in the original series. And we kind of at the same time thought, oh my God, Ship's Counselor. Well, Ship's Counselors in Next Generation were pretty commonplace, but not in TOS. So then the question arises, when did they start that? When did that become a regular part of the the Starship's complement, or the ship's complement, right? And so we decided we were going to create the first experimental ship's counselor program and, uh, and watch Kirk and McCoy adjust to the fact that they put this woman on board to see how this program works. And, uh, and Michelle has done such an amazing job with it. I mean, like, really. Yeah. Like, can you even imagine how daunting a task it would be to create a character that could hold their own with Sulu and and with the iconic (laughs) characters Chekhov, Sulu, Uhura you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And she has done it Yeah, and it's and like I said you know when when it comes to fan fiction obviously you have 
your own limitations of what you can do. You know, you obviously can't have, you know, Kurt kill Spock or anything like that. So right. I thought it was an interesting creative decision, you know, to be able to incorporate something like that with it. And you, you know, she, it was you, always our, it was always our goal to start bridging the gap. Yeah. How much input did you allow the actors to have over some of their character decisions and things that they that they got to do? I mean, obviously you can you know sit with Michelle and work out what she's doing, but you have other people, you know, you obviously don't live with. So, you <laughs> well, know what? I don't want to judge. I don't well, know. Maybe you do. <laughs> we have one big Star Trek dorm room. Yeah. <laughs> that's the reality series that's going to follow Star Trek continues. Star Trek, you. Um. I'm very pleased and grateful to answer that question by telling you that every one of the actors does what I want them to do. I don't mean that in a cocky way. I mean they respect that I have a very strong vision. They trust me. I mean, I'll tell you right now, Chris Dewan has told me on more than one occasion, I don't want to shoot any of my scenes unless you're there. Because I'm able to get something out of him that he's always proud of. He doesn't have a huge experience in acting. I feel like he's a natural and he's really good at it, but but um, but he doesn't have a ton of experience, and so I'm very grateful that he, anybody, even somebody like Todd or Chuck, who are very qualified, experienced actors, if I say, "Hey, Chuck, do this for me," he'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, Todd." Do it a little more quietly under your breath. Like, just between you and I, you don't want anybody else to hear this. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, anything, I, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they trust my vision of what I want it to be. And uh, so they are certainly, they know that I'm completely open to ideas. And I am. But at the end of the day, they'll respect whatever decision I make. Like, I'll give you an interesting example. Lolani. Mm-hmm. There's a scene where we're all having dinner with Lou Frigno. And Scotty's drinking a little too much. <laughs> and Lou Frigno goes, what is this beverage? Kirk goes, it's an earth wine called Shiraz. And uh, Zaman Han says, I can't taste the alcohol. And we cut to Scotty, and Scotty goes, I sure can. <laughs> well, when Chris did it, he did it very kind of sloppy drunk. I sure can. <laughs> I said, I'm like, no, 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 no. Say it like you don't want anyone else to hear it. I, and I told him, I'm like, raise your glass and you're just about to take a drink and say it to the inside of the drink. <laughs> I sure can. And, and he, and so that kind of thing. Like, he had his ideas, but if I had something I wanted to do, they're more than happy to do it. And it's been a really wonderful working relationship. And again, I haven't seen episode nine yet, but I know that uh, we have a, a veteran Star Trek actor oh who is appearing right? in this one. He is not playing the role he's most known for. That much I, I've, I've seen. But uh, you know, how, how did how did he take to the to the set to the series? To he is you so guys? fantastic. Will you see it? He's so fantastic. And it's John Delancey for those of you that uh, aren't aware. He is so great, bro. He and I know each other real well. We uh, we both have the same booking agent. Oh yeah. Who books us into conventions for convention appearances? I go to conventions for voice acting, and John goes for Star Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but we have the same guy, so he books us together. We 
ride to the airport together. I've been to his house a couple of times. We sit in the green room and chat. Like, I know. So when we were putting nine together and I was thinking about roles and who would play the, the roles, I thought, okay, Anne Lockhart is lovely and she would be great as this character. And then there's this, this other girl and I, I got this wonderful actress who's a very well-known, uh, a really talented voice actor, a friend of mine named Elizabeth Maxwell. And then I thought, okay, for this other role, who am I going to get? And I thought of Delancey, and I even said something to my producers about, co-producers about it. And they're like, that would be amazing. I said, yeah, he won't do it. And then I thought, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained, right? So I, I called him one day and I said, John, it's Vic. I said, oh, you know my Star Trek thing. There's a role that you'd be so perfect for. And in, as opposed to saying, I don't do, you know, fan stuff or whatever, he said, well, send me the script. So I sent him the script, and he called me back and he said, this is really a wonderful script. And he agreed to do it. We flew him down. He had, he had a great time. The day after he left, he wrote me an email that I read to the whole crew. And he was down there for three days, and we shot all of his stuff. And then he left, and he wrote us the next day, and he said, I was so blown away by the professionalism and the spirit and how well you guys do what you do. I've been on a lot of sets, professional <laughs> multi-million dollar sets, and I've never been on one that ran any better and had a better spirit than yours. That's very cool. Yeah, I remember him. My, my mom was a huge Days of Our Lives fan back in the day. Oh my God. That was, he was, he was Eugene on Days of Our Lives. I didn't even I re know I that. I remember it vividly. He, he was a very, very quirky character on Days of Our Lives. He was sort of the comic relief amidst all the love interests and everything else. But that was the first time I had seen him. And I love that he's Trek. not playing Q. Right. Because he can, I mean, he, I've seen him in a lot of different things. And he, you know, he's one of those guys who's got a voice you could read the phone book and be interesting Amazing, doing right? it. Amazing, right? Amazing. And yeah, he just has that sort of, you know, vocal charisma, if that's, if that's a phrase. But he can, he can pull that off with... with you know, so yeah. You are so right. I'm, I'm hoping, I'm looking forward to seeing it. I'm hoping you You're gave him good absolutely words. absolutely love it. <laughs> so what do you uh, think of the upcoming Discovery series? What are your hopes? What are your, what, what are your thoughts well, on, on what I'm it is? I'm certainly hopeful, and I'm certainly optimistic and supportive. I love Star Trek. And, and I want it to succeed. I want it to be good. Mm -hmm. I, I'm good friends with several of the people on it. Jason Isaacs, uh, Doug Jones, yeah. Rekha Sharma, who was in a guest yours. star in our episode yeah. eight before she got cast in Discovery. And if you haven't seen that one, she did a brilliant job in that oh one too. Oh my God, right? Play, playing a love interest. No. But, well, no. no, that's true. But I, a, have, I have, no, you're right, you're I right. literally <laughs> told, I told Judy Burns, I don't want them to be love interests. I do not want be a love interest. Well, there was chemistry. Childhood. Yeah. They were childhood friends who had got who had grown apart when they made separate choices, but 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 not a love interest. Just a childhood friend that you hung out with all the time, and then life took you in different directions, and you just wonder, you know, what might have ever come had we stayed friends. But Rake is amazing, and. Uh, I have to say, Discovery has good taste that they yeah. cast her because she's a, she's a wonderful actress. Before Star Trek continues, of course, she's Battlestar Galactica, mm -hmm. and I met her at conventions and uh, became friends with her, and she was wonderful. But 
point is, I want Discovery to be great. I want it to be great. I, I hope it's amazing. And I will tell you, without reservation, we, we have always supported and will continue to support CBS. Be enthusiastic about what they're doing and use whatever social media we have to, um, you know, to, to encourage and, uh, and get fans excited about actual Star Trek. And to me, Star Trek, and again, why, why I first took to your series, I think it was Harv Bennett once in an interview said the best Trek is never going to come in a movie. The best trek is always going to be episodic. It's always going to be there. There, you know. Any, any, and again, you say the same thing with Star Wars, Star Trek. You got to have a lot of stuff blowing up in the movies. You got to have a big bad guy. You got to have you know the big fight sequences. And these are things that are not essential elements in a in a, in a trek episode. They certainly exactly. exist, but there are other types of stories that you can tell within you know within the universe of trek. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't and agree more. While I like the last couple of movies that have come out. I don't dislike them. I think they've taken it in a, in a different direction, a unique direction. I'm looking forward to seeing Trek on TV again and seeing what, what they do with it. Like you said, I'm optimistic. I'm probably cautiously optimistic. You know, obviously there's been some stuff in the news about showrunners leaving and writing changing over and things like that well, that has me a little, not skeptical, but a little cautious. You know what? Here's, here's I've said this many, many times in many interviews. So if anyone's listening who's heard any other interviews, I apologize. But I'm an original series fan. That's that's my jam. Mm -hmm. That is my love. And there are people in our show whose their Star Trek is Next Gen. And there are other people whose Star Trek is Deep Space Nine or Voyager or Enterprise. For me, Every incarnation of Star Trek over the years seemed to get further and further away from whatever it was about the original series that made it so special. More than likely, a product of the times. Mm -hmm. uh, Next Generation was very much a product of its time. Much more cerebral, much more talky-talk, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Psychological, as opposed to action-adventure that the original series was. Different bites for different likes. Yeah. And that's my feeling about it. Rather than condemn the things that you don't like, just acknowledge that there are people that like that best more than they like the thing that you like, and live and let live. I mean, I hope that that uh, Discovery is good. Uh, I'm excited for it. And uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. But there's no competition. And this right. is this is another thing. I mean... The Star Trek universe is a big universe, and there's no reason that anyone should feel like, well, pick one. You know, like if you like Discovery, you hate TOS, or if you like Star Trek Continues, then you can't possibly like Deep Space Nine, or whatever. I mean, right. we are all playing in the same beautiful universe, and, and at least trying to. So. I would never want Star Trek to continues to detract from any other incarnation of Star Trek, official incarnation of Star Trek, and certainly not detract from Discovery. I, I think uh, I think the same people that, that love Star Trek continues are most certainly going to be tuning in when Discovery <laughs> comes out. Certainly. 
now, I guess sort of a, a, a closing question here is the food is almost... Closing, really? We're, we've talked about a half an hour here. Well, we've, we ate for 20 minutes well, of it. I wanted, uh, I got, let's I talk some more, because okay. I, I want to talk some more. Absolutely. I just, you know, they brought the sandwich out, and I couldn't <laughs> help myself. Well, let, let me ask you this. If, if the guidelines that had come out last year or earlier this year, I forget how many months it's been from CBS, were not imposed, were not, were not a factor... Where would you like continues to continue? Where would you like it to go? How if, if if you were given not control of the franchise, but if you were given that sort of carte blanche to continue doing as as you've done, what are some things you you could see Kirk and the Enterprise doing? Okay, let me. I'm going to tell you something. I'm very very excited to say in answer to that question. Before there were any guidelines, my goal was to make 13 episodes and finish the original series of Star Trek. Bring the Enterprise back to Earth, complete the five-year mission, and have story-driven reasons for why all of the characters made the choices they made. Why did Spock go back to Vulcan? Why did McCoy quit the service? Why did Kirk accept promotion? Everybody knows Kirk would die before you would pry his ship from him. Why did he do that? So it was all long before there were guidelines. It was my desire to make one more TV season. Little known fact, a TV season does not equal a year of the mission. Somebody, and I think it was even Michael Kuda, did a calculation of the star days. They were well into the fourth year of their mission when they were canceled. So it's not like three TV seasons, three years of the mission. So it, if they were well into year four, it's completely conceivable that we, with one more season, yeah. could complete it. That was always my intention. And here's the good news, Kevin. We've done it. We're doing it. We did it. The guidelines necessitated that we do it sooner than 13 episodes. But it was always my desire to fill that gap between the original series and the motion picture and we've done it. It's never been done. We did it. People, fans of the original series are absolutely going to ball. They're going to sob. It is so beautiful. And it wraps everything up. It gives arguably the most iconic TV series in television history the ending, the closure that it never had. So, if there were no guidelines, we were still going to do what we did. We might have done it in 13 episodes, we might have done it in 15 episodes, but we're always going to do it. And by the way, like, I'm playing a 37, 36, 37, 38 year old Captain Kirk. I ain't 36, 37, 38. I can't do that for much longer. I mean, I, I know that there's going to come a time where I'm going to be, somebody's going to be like, what the hell is this guy, you know, 50-some guy playing Captain Playing the Kirk. young Tiberius Kirk, yes. I mean, I'm, I'm 54, and I'll be 55 next month. And so I wanted to end with a bang, not a whimper. End strong, not peter out. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we can't come up with any more stories, and it just kind of trails out and just kind of, you know what I mean, just kind of fizzles out. a lost out. YouTube channel. Exactly. But, yeah. We are ending so strong and the way we intended. So 
If I had any regrets, it would only be that we didn't get to do a few more. But I am so profoundly excited and so proud of my team and what we've accomplished. And I think when you see them, you'll, you'll know why. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Fasten your seatbelts. It's time for a few minutes with the guys from the Win Straight Meets Gay podcast. You don't, you don't know this, Kevin, but Trey is just writing on our um, Me and Richard's co this, this is getting rough. Bro. All right, we are talking once again with the guys from the When Straight Meets Gay podcast. It is Richard, Trey, and Michael, not necessarily in that order. How's it going, guys? Hey, what's up? What are we doing? All right, today's topic, hipster, <laughs> hipsters, good or evil, discuss. Oh, hipsters. <laughs> hey, man, I'm fond of, uh, I'm fond, I'm a very big proponent of, like, you know, just own your shit. Um, I, but, you know, like, yeah, if you want to be a hipster, then do it. Do your thing. No offense to Michael, but there are levels of hipsters. <laughs> I'm not a hipster. <laughs> I mean, <anything> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Michael's the ultimate hipster, by the way. What are you guys talking about? Is this going to be, like, the next five minutes of Let's Pick on Michael? Uh, yeah, apparently that's the title of this of this segment is let's pick on Michael. Yeah, we, we got oh, it's like that every second. I mean, trust. He's the worst. You're the worst. Uh-huh. But you're the you're the funny one. But just you guys answer the fucking question. Yeah, bro. here's the thing. There's levels to him. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Michael! Answer, I'm yeah. talking. Do you hear this? Let let Trey talk, Michael. There are levels to hipsters. Know your level hipster. Okay. <laughs> Just know, know your level of hipster and don't go to that level. <laughs> and this is advice from Trey Melson. Thank you. <laughs> Move over, dear that's Abby. What on, that's what we need on our podcast is a section that says advice from Trey Melson. There you go. Ooh, just have Trey just being real, like just him in the mic, just getting real intimate. Oh, that'll make Trey happy. He never gets to talk apparently. Oh, that's true. It's Anyways, true. I think hipsters are great. I actually used to live near them. Sometimes I actually think some of them are really good looking. Oh, that's cool, dude. Oh, yeah. See, that could be that could be an extension. It, would you date a hipster? I guess is what we should ask. I mean, if a hipster said yes, I don't see why not. <laughs> yeah, dude, I guess it just depends on the hipster, bro. I'm sorry, but I can't date oh. a hipster. Oh, train. I'll be the one. Why are you so judgmental? This is supposed to be a dude. safe space. I mean, I, I, okay, I'm sorry. I'll date a hipster. I don't know, guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to just be a little different over here. He's trying to be controversial, make it interesting. He doesn't have to try, he is controversial. He just wakes up that way. Oh, baby, he was born that way. Baby, I was born to play. See? Hey, hey, we don't have the copyright for that, so don't. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. You, can only <laughs> sing, you can only sing songs in the public domain. Yeah, oh, okay, got it. birthday too. Michael, that's why Michael's a hipster, because he, uh, he tells oh. everyone he's the smart one. He's ahead he's of the trends. Yeah. All right, and, and this concludes segment number two with the When Straight Meets Gay podcast. Guys, where can, we, where can they find you? MSGpodcast.com. WSMGpodcast.com. And we're on Twitter, Instagram. You can even go on fucking YouTube, bro. Whoa. Just, just look When Straight Meets Gay. Yeah. All right. And we'll be back with more of them next week. Thank you. Peace. One of the reasons I do a podcast, like I said, when, when I first looked around, because I listen to podcasts a lot, I don't know if you do or you know how much time you have, but 
writers and the creative parts of things are things that just aren't focused on whether it's a radio interview, TV interviews, you know, those sorts of things aren't aren't discussed much. And so that was sort of why I wanted to start the podcast, which I did last year. And then the other reason was I'm a stubborn pain in the ass and I only wanted to talk to people that interested me. You know, I, you know, I don't want to talk to the, the fluffy reality TV star about what her show is because I couldn't care less. I right. wish her well in her life of whatever. But, you know, this was a series that, like you said, there, there wasn't any promotion to it. It was something that most of us just sort of stumbled upon. But it knocks you on your on your ass i mean it it takes you it takes you back in time it takes you into a mindset and like you said all the different tracks present something different but there is certainly a sense of roddenberry's and that's a credit to you roddenberry's sort of optimism or vision of of what the future is going to be like in in your series and that I, i guess the big question is how do you capture that? What are some things that you consider to be iconic Roddenberry-isms or Trek-isms that you wanted to make sure you put Well, you, you know what, you can it. take, you can take, you know what, I'm good, thank you okay. so much, take Michelle. Away. How was it? It was so good. Thank you. You can take almost any ethical question, moral question, social question, and make a Star Trek episode out of it if you come up with a plausible a really interesting way to present it. Mm-hmm. Uh, episode 6, Come Not Between the Dragons. It's child abuse, but it's a monster right. who everybody's scared of because it's eight feet tall until you find out that it's a child. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, classic Star Trek. That's classic Star Trek. And kudos to your, your, your prop guy or the guy that designed that costume. Greg that Dykstra, the... who wrote the story as well. From Pixar, Lolani, um, sex trafficking. You know, um, our first episode, Pilgrim of Eternity. The whole concept of self-sacrifice as life energy. You know, uh, you know, there, there's the old, there's that scripture, that that Bible passage that says, "More blessed to give than to receive." Right. So we made it an actual point. Like you actually, not only is it more blessed to give than receive, but you can actually, you actually strengthen your life energy by giving of yourself as opposed to taking from other people. What a noble concept that is. So we come up with a story that illustrates the concept, and that's classic Star Trek. Wait till you see Nine. Oh my gosh, Kevin. Nine is so... I don't want to give it away because it's not out yet, but I but I know that by the time you you air this, a lot of people will have seen it. But it is such a beautiful imagery. Um, all of our episodes. Um, seven was the concept of, of a woman being in a position of leadership. So many people have said for so long, well, if Star Trek's so ahead of its time, how come there are no women captains of starships? So, so we turned it into a story. And how topical was it? Yeah, right at that time. At the time when we're looking at possibly electing a female president? Okay, it's time for a female president, but not just any female. So, all of our stories have been born out of... I bet I've I've received a hundred script ideas from people over the last four, four and a half years. And I'll read them. 
and 99% of them fall into the same category. You ask yourself, what's, what's the point? What's it about? What's it about? If you have to get to the third page before you have any idea what it's about, it's, that's not a good story. And if I have to ask you, uh, what's your point here? What's your theme? What are you trying to say? Not a good story. You think some of the think of some of the best Star Trek episodes in the original series. You could literally sum them up into one sentence. A transporter malfunction splits Kirk into an evil and good. Two separate people. Boom. Yep. And your mind just goes the possibilities. Yep. Spock goes into heat and has to return to Vulcan to take a wife. You know what I mean? Like yeah. You can sum up the idea so quickly, and yet it's so it's succinct, and yet it's a brilliant idea. So, and all too often with fan fiction, you see people writing scripts, whether you know, or putting on things that are more sort of. Well, here's what I've always wanted to see Spock do. Right. Here's what I've you know. Let, let's right. imagine the crew of the Enterprise has to play basketball, or you know, some well, some or, strange. Well, or more or more aptly, more more realistically, they fight the Klingons. Yeah. Okay, give me an effing break. In 79 episodes, how many times they fight the Klingons? Yeah. Star Trek wasn't about fighting the Klingons. Newsflash, it's not about firing phasers. Star Trek is not about beaming down. It's not about flipping open communicators. It's not about fighting the Klingons. They are deep morality plays. White Iris? Oh my God. The whole concept of, of burying guilt and pain and shame to the point that it literally bubbles up and haunts you and paralyzes you until you deal with it. Those are These are all things that people can identify with right now in 2017. They could have identified with them in, 2000, in, in 1969, but they're part of the human condition and they're, they're, they're relevant topics. And I have been very, very, very particular about the stories that we tell. I've received, like I said, so many, so many stories, and I'm like, sorry, it doesn't do anything for me. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it just doesn't do anything for me. And uh, so the ones we've told, uh, hopefully, I'd like, to, I'd like to think, have a, a really powerful theme. And here's the other thing. You can't tell stories like that if you don't have actors. Fanboys can't tell stories like that. Now, I'm a fanboy. Nothing against fanboys. And nothing against other productions. Right. But know who you are. Just just yeah. <laughs> accept what your strengths are. You and, know what I mean? And, and it is a warning to people who are going to be clicking on his YouTube channel, on, on, on the Star Trek Continues YouTube channel, when you see down the right-hand column other fan fiction videos of other things, please don't expect... Yeah, All there's a things to be equal. They're not. <laughs> they're not, and it's not personal. Right. You you know what? If you were to say to me, "Hey Vic, you're not a good basketball player." I wouldn't be like, "Who the hell do you think you are? Let's fight." <laughs> because guess what? I know that I'm not a good basketball player. I can acknowledge what my strong suits are and what my weaknesses are. I'm not a basketball player. Unfortunately, a lot of fan productions think that if they build a set and put on a uniform and flip open a communicator that they're making Star Trek. But they're horrible actors because they don't have any training. They're not experienced in that. They're probably really good at their job. Sure. But they're not actors. And they're probably really good fans. (laughs) And you know what? For what it is, God bless. Yeah. God bless. 
don't expect it to be more than it is. Accept who you are and what your what your strengths and limitations are. If somebody said, you know, I want to cast you to play, uh, we're going to do a remake of uh, of uh, Who Mourns for Adonis, and I want you to play Apollo. I'd be like, are you kidding? I'm five nine. I'm nowhere near as big and muscular as Mike Forrest was. Wouldn't work. It's not an insult for you to tell me you wouldn't work in that role because I, I know what my strengths and weaknesses are. So for me to speak this way related to other fan productions is not a slam. No. It's just that when I started this production, I endeavored to set the bar. I've spent 40 years making film, editing, sound designing, acting, building things, developing the skills that four and a half years ago I said, hey, I've seen these other fan productions, they're cute and all, but would, what would it be like to really not ratchet everything up a couple of notches? Bring in, I mean, really make it really high quality. Great storytelling, great lighting, great editing, great acting, great everything. And that was my intention for when I started Star Trek Continues. I didn't know if it would be any good. We made the first episode with no expectation of making more. But I, and I paid for the first episode all myself because it's my dream. Why in the world should I launch a, a Kickstarter to expect people to give me money for something that they had no idea whether I could do or not? So in my mind, it was the perfect opportunity for put your money where your mouth is. You want to do this? You pay for it. Um, so I did, and we made it. We put it out there, and people enjoyed it. And that's why we're now at episodes 10 and 11. I didn't have any expectation for it, but I, I knew that I loved Star Trek, and I've spent virtually my whole life developing the skills in production and acting necessary to, to try to make something of an elevated value. And I, I, I couldn't do it alone. Lisa Hansel, Tim Vitito, James Kerwin, Matt Busey, Ginger Holly, Hannah Brookie, uh, Scotty Whitehurst, on and on the list goes. Quality people, Will Smith, um, Royal Weaver, Scott Granger, the people, Jay Pennington, all of our cast people that have come together repeatedly for nothing for the last four and a half years because they love what we're doing. Um, I am so enormously grateful to the people that have come together to make this. It's truly a family. And uh, Ralph Miller, oh my God, I knew as soon as I started, <laughs> as soon as I started naming people, I knew I would forget people. Um, and for people Mark that Bell, think he's just naming names, you know, behind the scenes is something not a lot of people focus on. I wish they would. You know, and yeah, it's because to me it's fascinating. You know, to one see of the more the frustrating changes in television in the last 10, 20 years is watching closing credits vanish into this tiny microscopic oh my gosh, thing right? where you say, "Okay, this show was great. Who did the score?" and suddenly you can't find out anymore. Thank you. This show was great. Where Who was the score? shot? Andy Who Farber, was the DP? Yeah. Who was you know, those sorts of things you don't get to see anymore. When I show episodes at conventions I attend, when the episode finishes and the credits roll, I'll get up and I will grab the microphone and I will say, watch the credits, everybody. These are the people that made this episode and they deserve your attention. Yeah. So I won't get up and say, okay, let's turn the lights on. Let's take right. some questions. I will make sure and, and play 
the credits all the way to the end because those people sacrificed a great deal to make this episode and so much love so much love and effort went into every one of these episodes and I'm so humbled and grateful for everybody that's been a part of it well I mean just like like I said as, as a viewer as a fan you did good Thank I you. mean you, you know I, I I am sad that it is ending but I agree with you that there is a natural conclusion to what it, what you guys are doing and I look forward to uh, to crying along with the with the mm. other viewers when those Get when ready. those happen anything you need to say or that we haven't mention any any oh yeah did, did chris respond <laughs> no but habercorn's writing me what does spock want to say uh -oh. <laughs> whether you know it or not you've become a part of, of trek lore now not just as a fan is that you know well there may be a cbs entity that doesn't recognize your episodes as canon there's fans that are going to walk away from those episodes and say this is the natural progression you know of, what of these characters you know what i of kind of privately quietly hope and I tell I tell my my production team this right now we may just be this but I'll bet you in 10 years in 10 years maybe 15 years 20 people will say watch TOS and then watch Star Trek continues and then watch the motion picture I really believe that. I really believe that. And I suspect whether you know whether Netflix still exists or whatever video distribution agency exists at the time, it will be a natural progression to you know it'll be you know you you'll, you'll click okay we've seen this now that you've seen this you know it'll literally be there you, you, I, your I, series will I be am, the next. I step. am optimistic that that will be the case. You know, I, I really am. So, in answer to your question, is there anything else I want to say? I just want to say I want to say thank you. Um, I had a career. I have a career. I'm a voice actor. I've done over 300 animated series of video games. That's what I do. Long before I voice acted, I loved Star Trek. And Star Trek Continues is my love letter back to Star Trek. It's, it's my way of saying thank you to the people that made that show. And I know that I know that I know that there are millions of people just like me who were impacted and moved and inspired by that show the same way as I was. And I hope they find our series because I think you can feel it come right through the screen. You can feel the love that we made these episodes with. And I'm so thankful that people have enjoyed it as much as they have so grateful for the support all of you out there that have given to our series that have told your friends and family about our series thank you thank you thank you we've never made any money from it that's not why i started it i have no interest in making money i'll tell you something if cbs called me tomorrow and said we want to release your series on cbs.com star trek.com but we're not going to give you a penny guess what i would say take it yeah because I didn't make it for money. I have no interest. I make money doing my other stuff. I didn't make this for money and I have no interest in making money. I just want to share what we've done with as many people out there that were inspired or excited by Star Trek the way I was. So if you're listening, you haven't told everybody in your, in your circle of friends and family 
about Star Trek continues, tell them to go watch it. Tell them the price is right. It's free. It's free. Watch it for free. And, and unlike my podcast, you get more than your money's worth. <laughs> Watching Star Trek continues. My show, hey, you know, take a take Oh, a well, I think it's probably awesome, worth everything. Well, well, Vic, and again, your last name, Manana. It, it, I, I thank you for meeting me here. And, and my pleasure, Beautiful, Kevin. sunny... NoHo or whatever. I don't know exactly Studio where we City. are. Studio City. Okay, well, there we go. Uh, but thank you very much, and thank you for the show. Thank you for chatting with me, and and thank Michelle. My pleasure. Thank you, Michelle. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Michelle's taking away what's left of what's, the what's left of the turkey. The casualties of fries and turkey sandwich that we left. <laughs> oh, hey, speaking of the guys, carnage, the, the spoils of war, as it were. Where is the set going from here? Oh, is there, did you find somebody I, to donate that to, or is there? A, not yet. We're working on it. I forgot to ask that during. We're this working as we on go. it. There. One thing is for sure. It can't be destroyed. No. Like it can't. Be. There are only a couple of places on the planet Earth where you can walk through the original Enterprise, and I personally think ours is the best. So I want it to live on for people to continue to enjoy. I'm working on a few different as. Mr. Spock always enjoyed, always liked to say, I'd always like to think there are possibilities. So I'm, I'm keeping optimistic and I'm, I'm exploring those possibilities now. Hopefully we'll come up with something. I, yeah, I just, if nothing else, you know, if you need a place to store the chair, by all means. Ah, you, you, you I'm keeping the chair. <laughs> you know what? Everything else, in fact, I already told, I already told, I already told my production team, I'm like, even if, even if these sets go somewhere, this chair is going home with me, and I will pay to have another captain's chair built. Yeah. But the one that we shot this series on is going to go with me. <laughs> well, Vic, thank you so much. My and, pleasure, and Kevin. folks, check out Star Trek Continues. It is, it is absolutely fabulous, and we've got, again, nine drops of 10, 11, 10, 11 is coming. Very soon. 11 being the, the quote-unquote series finale. So check it out, people. Thanks, Kevin. Live thank long you. and prosper, my that friend. too. <laughs> It's time for our own version of Siskel and Ebert, only, you know, living. Here's film critic Tim Brennan. All right, it is time once again, as our intrepid announcer Craig just announced, for our film critic, our weekly look into the world of the silver screen. And with us, now we can say this as always, is Mr. Tim Brennan. Tim, how you doing? So far, so good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. We are talking today about the feel-good movie of 2017, are we not? Yeah, this is going to give uh, plenty of big smiles to those in the alt-right. <laughs> right, we're going to talk about Detroit, which is uh, also the name of my mom's hometown. But this movie really isn't a hometown feel to it, is it? Eh, no, <laughs> not, not, not so much. So tell, tell us what we need to know. It's based on um, a series of riots that took place in Detroit in 1967. All started when the police rousted uh, an all-black speakeasy, um, you know, for the crime of basically a bunch of black people hanging out and having a few drinks and celebrating some local boys back from Vietnam. Mm -hmm. A whole bunch of them got hauled away in paddy wagons. Uh, locals got a little pissed about that. Bottles started being thrown, um, some profanity started being thrown as well, and before you know it, um, a good chunk of Detroit was on fire. So, yeah, yeah, film... I've been to Detroit several times, and being on fire is among the least of the problems that city has. <laughs> yeah, I, 
really believe that. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and so while this is going on, we meet um, a young man named Larry, who is the lead singer of um, a music group called The Dramatics, like a Motown group. Mm-hmm. And he and his band are trying to make it big in the industry. Things fall apart when just as they're about ready to go on stage, the theater is evacuated because of the rioting. We also meet Melvin Dismukes, played by uh, John Boyega, who was in uh, Star Wars The Force Awakens. And he plays a security guard who is trying to kind of de-escalate the tension as much as he possibly can. And everything converges on a uh, black-owned hotel called the Algiers. And some teens are hanging out in the Algiers. They think it would be funny to fire a starter pistol filled with blanks at the police and National Guard. And turns out that's a terrible idea Whoops. because it starts a siege. And the a group of three police officers come into the Algiers, roust the residents, and proceed to basically physically and psychologically brutalize them. And three people end up dead. Now this is so, sort of this is the talked about sequence in the film. Am I am I if I'm not mistaken here? This is what everybody is sort of walking away from the film discussing is this moment. Oh yeah, definitely. It's it's a very very long sequence, and honest to God, it's it's an endurance test. Yeah. It is um it is so spectacularly unpleasant. I know for me, like I had clammy palms, my stomach was clenching up, and I kept thinking like. Just be over already. Just be over, and it wasn't. So I mean, now, now you told uh, me there were two there were two couples watching the movie in the cinema with you. How how were they reacting during this? There was one couple that was dead silent, <laughs> and I feel like that's going to be a really awkward car ride on the way home. Sure. There was another couple where the male half of the couple, anytime someone would get hit, or anytime a gun would go off, he would sit up, bolt upright, and go ooh, <laughs> and. He did that a lot, and I kept waiting for his wife or girlfriend to just punch him and tell him to shut up. Didn't happen. But you could you could set your watch to it that you would see a fist cocked back, and I was like, "Here it comes!" Ooh, and he would do it. You were watching the movie with Duff Man from The Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. I definitely was. <laughs> and, and, and forgive me, folks, if 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 I'm trying to add some levity to this, this is not a a happy romp through the city. This is this is a. A distur- I know again. I haven't seen it yet. I'm going. I'm going by what I've what I've read and heard. This this, this is a, a pretty dark look at what was going on. Even you know, as 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 dark as the riots of Detroit were in the '60s, this is a dark, dark, grim view of it. Am I wrong? You're dead right. <laughs> and one of the things that makes it even worse is that it's the kind of thing that you know we should ideally be able to look back at 1967 and say. Well, those were less enlightened times, you know, where um, black people would get brutalized by the police with impunity and then the cops would walk and nobody would care. But Castile, Tamir Rice, I mean, it is literally still going on and nothing is changing and nothing is getting better. So this this film is like it's precision engineered to piss people off. And it's and, and you would think that it should should have served as a cautionary tale, you know, 50 years ago. But as you said, here, here we are having having to deal with it again. Uh, yeah, what, precisely. What, uh, what 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 are some of the stronger? You mentioned John Boyega. What are some of the strong actors? Some of the strong people in the film. Boyega's terrific. Anthony Mackie, who um, you've probably seen in um, either the Hurt Locker or in the Marvel movies, he plays the Falcon. Hmm. Is in this. 
he's got a role that I would have liked to have seen. I would have liked to have seen more of him, but he's very good. I feel like, though, the role is um, a guy named Algie Smith. Um, I'm hoping I'm getting his name right. And he plays Larry, who is the the, the guy who's trying to make it big, big as a singer. There's, there's a scene he does, man, where they're getting ready to go on stage. The place is, is evacuated. And he walks out onto, the sta- onto this empty stage in this empty theater and starts singing. And it is, it is just heartbreaking. It is this absolutely heartbreaking moment where this guy has gotten himself psyched up. And he is so close to success, he can taste, he can just taste it. And the world takes it away. And there's, there's an awful lot that's good um, acting-wise. But Algie Smith, he's, he's the one to see. You know, it's one of those things, you know, I, I guess because my family hails from that, that part of the country that I, I'm probably more aware of what went on during that era than a lot of people are of our age of this generation. Sure. And, and, and it's one of those things where you don't, you don't forget it. And, you, you know, like I said, I've been to Detroit with my family from time to time. You know, when I was a kid, that was our summer vacation was we would do a road trip across the country and end up in in beautiful sunny detroit michigan and you know we're talking 30 years ago but it was you know it was on a steady decline and right. it really it really never recovered from from the riots that are depicted in this film it was really you know it, it was such a, a charged city and this this is sort of a, a story like you said it's it's not the whole story it, it's that story that depicts that that one moment in time that that affected so many of of the residents of of that city and that you know it it really it never recovered and it and it's it's shocking to think that 50 years later you've got a town still recoiling from those moments detroit died because of a thousand cuts but mm-hmm. the i feel like the the riots and what happened uh at the algiers hotel was if not a death blow then certainly a mortal wound to to the psyche of the city and it, it used to be such a great city and i would I would love to see it recover from this, but the message that I seem to take away from the movie, I don't know if I'm interpreting it correctly or not, this kind of thing is just going to keep happening and going to go on and on and on until all of us decide to make changes, and we're probably not going to do that. So, not, not for yeah, a lots while. of smiles in that movie. <laughs> Well, thanks for cheering us up here, Tim. You know, I really appreciate you coming in at the end of the podcast with the little ray of sunshine that you are, and oh, uh, absolutely, and, and yeah. talking about you know this uplifting, uplifting movie of the year. It's I'm, I'm sure Disney produced this one. Oh, of course they did. <laughs> yeah, I mean there's there's a song afterwards. And sure. Bunnies oh yeah. Oh yeah. 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 The animated the animated sequences I'm sure are just you know breathtaking. All right. All right. Thank you very much, Tim. And uh, thank you to everybody that's been a part of the podcast again this week. Uh, the the uh, when straight meets gay guys or is it when gay meets straight guys? Whatever it is from that podcast, the Philosophers podcasters, uh, and and Vic Manana from from Star Trek again. If you have not seen Star Trek Continues, please look for it on the web. Please watch these episodes. These things are uh they're 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 pure trek and i don't i don't know what star trek discovery is going to bring us here in a couple of months but if you want to see what star trek is supposed to be in terms of episodic tv check out star trek continues i cannot praise the series enough uh next week we will have a former nbc page much like myself but you know he actually stayed in the industry unlike myself so uh herbie j Pilato will be joining us we're going to talk about some of the books he's written some of the experiences he had in television and continues to have in television so check us out 
out uh, next week for more exciting, goofy conversation interviews and other random moments that we chuck in just for the hell of it. Uh, that's all from the lawn at this time. This is Kevin and, and Tim. You got anything to say in closing? That's it and that's all. That's it and that's all. All right. Thank you from Colorado. Thank you from California. Now get off my lawn. This has been the Get Off My Lawn podcast. Check out www.lulu.com slash Marusik for a selection of books authored by your genial host. That's www.lulu.com slash M-A-R-O-U-S-E-K. Like what you've been hearing on the show so far? Then help us out by going to getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com, clicking on the tip jar, and donating to the cause of creativity. That's getoffmylawnpod.blogspot.com. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at getoffmylawnpod. Questions or comments? Our email address is getoffmylawnpod at gmail.com. The theme was written and composed by Brian Weideman. Check out his music at www.worldbride.com. That's W-O-R-L-D-B-R-I dot com. The logo was designed by Julie Contreras at Urban Bird Design. Go to UrbanBirdDesign.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Tell a friend.